0: freedom wasn't necessarily a locational thing it wasn't necessarily like canada it wasn't terra firma you didn't have to necessarily get to a particular geographic location freedom was you know something within it was the ability to chart one's own course and to enjoy the fruits of one's own labor
1: you're listening to the good dirt podcast We want to
2: put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the
1: dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning and happy summer solstice. It's just me today to introduce our special guest for this special bonus episode. If you're a good Dirt listener, you know that we drop episodes every Friday, but we are dropping a special episode today, Saturday, June 19th, in honor of Juneteenth or Emancipation Day. We had such an amazing conversation with our friend Tony back in February. That episode is called Preserving the History of the Underground Railroad with Tony Cohen. I recommend if you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and give it a listen. So we invited him back to tell us all about Juneteenth and to give us some history and context around emancipation and what that means. And if you haven't met Tony yet, he's a historian, nonprofit founder, and an author who operates Button Farm, Maryland's only living history center depicting 19th century slave plantation life and the heroic story of the Underground Railroad. He is the founder and director of the Minare Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to the creation of cutting edge educational programs, including an Underground Railroad immersion experience based on the work he did with Oprah Winfrey. So, we hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot. We definitely did and celebrate in this joyous day. Happy summer, everyone.
0: Juneteenth uh, is a celebration of emancipation of enslaved people in the United States, it is a nationwide holiday that got its origins in Texas, you know, the past century and a half to, you know, really capture the imagination of Americans. It's called Juneteenth because it marks the day, June 19th, 1865, where enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, were told that they had been freed. And so in true folkloric African-American style, instead of saying, hey, let's celebrate the 19th day of June, 1865, of course came up with Juneteenth <laughs> as a uh, as a shorthand for something that was pretty big, pretty big mm-hmm. in the experience.
1: And just to clarify for some people may not know, from my understanding from history class, Slaves were emancipated much earlier than June nineteenth, eighteen sixty-five. Correct. So why is that the date that we celebrate?
0: Yes, and I, I have to say, I, I I would still I would still argue that the definitive book on emancipation has yet to be to be written. Cool. But uh, most people know from school upbringing about Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation from eighteen sixty-three, and. In the Emancipation Proclamation, President Lincoln basically freed the the enslaved people who were held in bondage in the Confederate states. The only rub with that was Lincoln didn't have control over the Confederate states. And so historians say that even though it was a powerful and symbolic act, that it did not free a single enslaved person. Mm -hmm. After the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, it did, however, have an immediate effect. Slaveholders throughout the the South reviled it, criticized it, yelled and screamed and cursed it, sometimes within, within earshot of their enslaved people who then spread the word. So, in some sections of the country here and there, enslaved people knew that freedom was on the horizon. But in a practical way, they didn't know how to access that freedom because freedom hadn't arrived, you know, in in the form of Union troops on their doorstep or whatnot. There were a few pockets. Throughout the South, where Union troops, Union soldiers were stationed. And in those locations, there was often an adherence to the Emancipation Proclamation. Some people were able to leave plantations or some enforcement of freedom or a system of compensation for enslaved people were enforced by Union troops. But for the most part, it was this idealized theoretical freedom only on paper. With the coming of the end of the Civil War... It was pretty much determined to be the the law of the land. Of course, it took the passing of the 13th Amendment to the Constitution to officially abolish slavery, the 14th Amendment to grant the rights of citizenship, and the 15th Amendment to grant voting rights only to African-American men, not women, Mm -hmm. So out of, you know, one movement into the next. In that time, I think people knew that freedom was coming. And so from place to place, they began to talk about and celebrate in many different ways what a new one freedom would be. In fact, even after the end of the Civil War, the opposite of freedom occurred in several places where some enslaved people were learning about the end of the war, learning about their emancipation as late as the year 1867. And other parts of the country where I think they would call themselves unreconstructed Southerners refused to free their slaves So they kept them on on lockdown on plantations until the time where federal authorities could step in and mediate, actually grant physical freedom to those who had been held in bondage. So it's a often blurry time of history, one that still needs to be clarified and explored and discovered.
1: So then why June 19th, 1865? Why is that part of it clear? The Texas thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, so so in, in Texas, almost immediately, the day appears to take hold. So June 19, 1865, Union General Gordon Granger reads the Emancipation Proclamation to a group of enslaved people gathered at Galveston. Within the next year, there are the first formal liberations, And at at first, you know, these are like, you know, community gatherings. So they would have been times where family members that had been broken apart uh, under slavery uh, would have been reuniting, where people would have been, you know, uh, receiving their first form of compensation for their labor, where Black legislators were being elected Uh, to serve in state and national government positions by, say, the year 1870. So each year brought a little more freedom and, and more desire for celebration. So around this date, Juneteenth in Texas, you would have picnics and barbecue. Over time, people celebrated with parades. In my mom's hometown of Houston, Texas, in the early 1870s, Black citizens purchased land and established Emancipation Park, which is, which is still there today in the neighborhood where my mom grew up. And uh, just a block or two from where uh, George Floyd went to school and Emancipation Park was there as a, you know, a public space for black people a place where they could uh, gather socially and celebrate on June 19th. So, so it really remained a Texas celebration pretty much through the 19th century and early 20th century later over time especially once we get to the civil rights and post-civil rights movement and there is more of a, a black power movement black identity movement of the 1960s people start looking to Juneteenth as a symbolic day for you know recognition of emancipation generally so, you know, you always reach that 100-year mark, that 100-year century anniversary of something, and then there's a resurgence in interest. And that's w- w- what it appears as that happened with uh, Juneteenth. And so uh, Juneteenth starts popping up across the nation. Again, the subject of, you know, local uh, picnics and art festivals. Juneteenth was the day where uh, people get would gather and read poems. Or sing songs by prominent African American. The Negro national anthem from the beginning of the 20th century, "Lift Every Voice and Sing," becomes a favorite at Juneteenth celebrations, and so a history even between Juneteenth and you know the 1960s you know gets revitalized, and you know people are relearning their history in the midst of making new history. And then you get to the 1980s and early 1990s, Juneteenth becomes adopted as a holiday, sometimes unofficial, sometimes official, by different state legislatures as this kind of, you know, standalone historical marker for the freeing of slaves. And uh, I believe as of today, there's, I think it's two states that there's only two states that don't recognize juneteenth as a holiday in some kind of in some kind of form or another so the idea of freedom i believe is that there can't be too many holidays to celebrate freedom on sure, right <laughs> and we're uh,
1: none of us are free till we're all free kind of thing so
0: absolutely yeah and
1: absolutely how do you do such a, a great job of
2: Portraying the picture of how the emancipation wasn't an overnight thing; it it sort of trickled out. Is that the word? It sort of it sort of happened over a period of time, which I think is a perspective that's important for us to understand as we look back on our American history. And I'm imagining those those scenes you described of you know someone coming into town a union officer and saying okay you all are free now a couple of things first of all would they have believed it mm-hmm. i mean there might have been a lot of fear that it was you know a trick or not true and then also they said okay now we're free let's leave i imagine that was an extremely dangerous proposition because surely there were vigilante groups all over and People that were you know, very angry about this and didn't want them to leave. So I don't know. Is give us some insight into that. That period is just kind of a, a, a what a gray area of freedom.
0: It's interesting because I think if we just step back into the period of slavery, slavery was a system that was colloquial and discretionary meaning what it looked like, what the, mm-hmm. how it operated was really based regionally and on specific uh, mores and values of those communities that it existed in. Yeah. And so, you know, it's well known that slavery in Maryland, while every form and permutation of the system, brutal to harsh, existed, That Maryland, in terms of slavery, became known as the middle ground or the middle temperament. That the labor that slaves were and slave people were engaged in here and the industries and so forth weren't as intense and labor-intensive as, for instance, slavery in the Deep South, where you had a lower life, life expectancy, much harder conditions. So you have all of these different landscapes of geographical, economic, and and social landscapes or terrains that, you know, people had to negotiate. Even before the Civil War, you know, there are accounts from from slave narratives where several, you know, almost any time power changed hands and a new president was going to be elected, one opponent or the other said, well, you know, he'll free the slaves. And so there are actually accounts, election results coming back in certain places and, and slaves throwing down their tools because their owner cursed or cussed about, you know, this particular candidate would free the slaves. So they, they were sure that a positive re- election result was going to result in their freedom. And they were mistaken. Many were actually very politically savvy, having politicians in Southern legislatures, in the national legislature, representing those districts from the South. And so they knew and could listen in on the political news that was being passed throughout the plantation house. So there was varying degrees of, of awareness. You know, even people who thought about escaping their captivity during uh, their period of enslavement were told wild stories that the the abolitionists would tempt slaves north so they could enslave them there. On one, one plantation, a freedom seeker who actually made it to the north reported that his owner had told him many times that if you get to Canada, the Canada geese will peck out a black man's eye. Oh. And uh, he determined in his mind that, it, that he'd take his chances with some you know, grumpy geese as opposed to being held in bondage for life. So he escaped. So you know, imagine, especially during the Civil War, Union troops coming through, through through the South. It not only terrified slaveholders, but enslaved people themselves because they didn't know what the result would bring but but people knew what freedom was. They had a sense of it because they could see it every day. Their labor, their physical and economic sacrifice created freedom for those who kept them in bondage. So, you know, freedom wasn't necessarily a locational thing. It wasn't necessarily like Canada. It, it wasn't terra firma. You didn't have to necessarily get to a particular geographic location. Freedom was, you know, something within. It was the ability to chart one's own course and to enjoy the fruits of one's own labor.
2: Tony, are there instances where these, after emancipation, they would begin to pay their, their former enslaved people? and they stayed on in their situation?
0: Absolutely, and this occurred all throughout the South. Some planters established a wage and paid their, their, their formerly enslaved people. I know that here in Maryland, for instance, planters in Charles County, after Maryland abolished slavery, which, which I'll speak about in a moment, they quickly organized and established an agreed, an agreed upon wage that would be paid to formerly enslaved people on in Charles County and that way the formerly enslaved would have you know would not have bargaining power and could not demand from you know one employer more than from another employer oh, yeah. eventually the tenant farming system was established throughout the south and that was really a reach back to the slavery system but with a you know kind of newfangled twist, so planters would thank their formerly enslaved people for the years of service, but then offer to keep them on with wages. Mm-hmm. They would throw in the housing free of charge. You can live in that you know live in the house, live in the same place w- where you have been, and earn a wage. But under the tenant farming system, you would get your your food sometimes and, and other supplies from the farm or plantation general store. That could even include clothing and other types of goods and services. And at the end of the month or the end of the year, you would settle accounts. So your wages were paid after you had reimbursed the owner or the general store for expenses. And uh, you want to take a guess? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that sounds working. like
1: running a business. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Expenses always outweighed earnings. But there was a solution to that. You were allowed to stay on for another year okay. and do it all over again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and and it seemed like the best choice at the time. That's where the the expression, the company store comes from. You know, and oh, the, yeah. the meaning oh. behind that, you know, the meaning behind that is like you, you know, the company store sort of owns you because of what Tony just described. Like you're always owing the company store, even though it's supposedly your money. So it's sort of a complicated thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, even though I'm guessing the term as we know it, the company store, probably, comes in later the um, coal in places where they're like mining towns yeah, and stuff right. like that they were absolutely drawing from a template the 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 template that came out of slavery earlier and and who knows probably in different forms before that in other places so freedom itself had a cost yeah you know i i, I would say we in many ways are still working at winning our freedoms. Yeah. Oh.
2: Tony, I'm so glad you said that because I was just thinking, you know, we we talk about slavery and enslaved people and that, you know, it ended during this period of history, but as you're you're pointing out, It just evolves. It's called different things. It takes different iterations. It has different nuances. But still to this day, and especially in our highly industrialized system, certainly the clothing industry, the food industry, there are people that are living under such restrictions and economic limitations. And and I have a question for you. Why does it seem like we can't speak in terms of modern day slavery? That seems to be resisted. Is it because people feel like it minimizes that period in our history?
0: I think whenever ever, and possibly wherever we are at any given time during the globe on the on the globe, any reference to any attention to injustice can, appear to be feel like an indictment it's the mirror that 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 we lift to our own face and and you know we can see you know all of of, of our faults and shortcomings and i think that makes people uncomfortable especially when people start considering what their hand is in systems of injustice mm-hmm. and so you know taking that hard introspective critical look at ourselves how we operate in the world what our culpability might be can be very difficult and furthermore if we disagree with the the negative condition you know, if we're in our minds against slavery, but we buy our clothes from, you know, foreign sweatshops, I think there is an internal pressure. Often we view it as an external pressure to change our behaviors. Mm. And when we look to change our behaviors, that often means giving up comfort or something that we might think of as our own freedoms, and then there's the conflict, which makes us no different than people of a century and a half ago, except that we have eh, <laughs> quasi better healthcare than them, better sewage and sanitation. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe not. And we're we have more access to information, yeah. but yeah. not necessarily the ability or willingness to learn and act upon the lessons that greater knowledge right. provides us or with. to
1: critically absorb information. <laughs> yeah. You
0: got it. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Here's something I've thought of recently. There's
2: a lot of, you'll hear a lot of commentary out there that the goods that are available at an affordable price are necessary for people of a certain age economic level because that's all they can afford so it's really hard to change the system because of accessibility all right so i'm thinking how is that different from the plantation owners back in the early 19th century that said they that yeah maybe slavery yeah maybe there's problems with it but we can't afford anything else our our economy Mm -hmm. won't work Without this system, are we not saying something similar now? Yes, I,
0: I, I think, I believe so. Fit, let's take, for instance, the fair trade a movement. You know, buying buying your products directly from locations, villages, whatnot, where those products are produced, and the money can go directly back to them, is inspired either directly, indirectly, or ha- Happenstance by the free labor of the 1820s and 30s, where Quaker run boards would offer items that were produced not through slave labor. Yes. So uh, there was, you know, many an abolitionist table in the North that did not have a sugar bowl because sugar was produced by enslaved people. The same thing with cotton. Cotton was a slave product. So it's not that we have newfangled ideas and new approaches, you know, in the modern age. We we draw from 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 time-honored, you know, freedom movements, but we're still needing to draw from time honored <laughs> freedom movements yes. to exact the kind of change we want in the present.
2: How enlightened are we. Yeah. What a loop. Yeah. And I, 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 I love the example of the sugar bowl on the table mm-hmm. because that's the the personal vision there of an you know, an individual or a family or a household that that was one way in which they were not going to participate. And uh, I think, you know, the more we can educate people about how things arrive onto their table or into the stores, or so that people are able to make those decisions and, and begin an awareness of the complexity of this, that mm-hmm. we're not talking about history. Juneteenth is not about something that happened in 1865 only, it has implications. Right now, every day,
1: for all of us. I love hearing about these Quakers and everyone in in Maryland, and you have such a wealth of knowledge about Maryland specifically. So can you talk to us a little bit more about local emancipation and what happened here and is going on here?
0: Absolutely. Our area has a very interesting history. And again, we're still uncovering information almost every day but Glenn is unique. During the Civil War, it was distinguished as a neutral state. It did not pick a side during the war. It was also, you know, geographically or graphically situated. So the seat of our government in Washington, D.C. was, you know, physically located in the South. The Southern legislature, legislature had withdrawn. So Congress during the Civil War mainly had Northern re- representation, but was surrounded by enemy territory. So Maryland remaining neutral allowed that essentially Northern government to continue. And it quickly moved to to abolishing slavery in the district. In fact, it was April 16, 1862, when DC abolished slavery and almost immediately, and to this day, that date in April, is celebrated as D.C. Emancipation Day and is a city mm, holiday cool. and uh, was the subject of, again, you know, street fairs going all the way up through the early teens, 19-teens, was the time of reunions of former formerly enslaved people. There would be slave reunion as people spent decades reuniting and remembering what some of them referred to as the dark days you know times of, of enslavement but here in our county for instance we actually benefited strongly from DC emancipation under the federal act you could free your slave your enslaved people and be, compensated, provided that you either were resident of the district, that you had property holdings in the district, that your enslaved people, whether you were in Northern Virginia or suburban Maryland, were actually employed in the district, you could free them. So one amazing example of, of, of this locally was the Bell family. Of Rockville. If anyone's been to Montgomery County Historical Society, uh, it's the location of the Bell Dawson House, which is owned by the city of Rockville, uh, our 1815 ish federal mansion. And Margaret Bell, who was the uh, patriarch of the uh, state at that time, freed, I believe it was either 17 or 19 of her enslaved people. Uh, for which she was compensated, I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think it was over $9,000 through this federal act. As a result, she then began selling to those formerly enslaved people for an amount fee simple of $5 plots of land, formerly of the Bell Estate. So today, the Bell Dawson House is still there. It's kind of fronted by West Montgomery Avenue. Then it goes north, following to the west of North Washington Street in downtown Rockville, to a Black community called Haytie. And that's where... The descendants or the, you know, newly freed enslaved people from the Bells purchased their lots, built their homes and settled. And their descendants are still there today. You know, if you were able to, you know, purchase one of those lots with the house on it, it could be a million dollars. Who who knows? Depending on the size of the lot. So you see, you see the results of of you know just an example of generational uh, wealth that can be passed down when you own something and and so uh, you know that's just one example of how an emancipation act actually helped transform a community.
1: I know there's many or many like freed slave communities around the county we might have talked about this last time too are those is that related to the bell estate
0: yes there are many of them and a lot of those settlements are carved from former estates either on or adjacent to where those former formerly enslaved people had been had been enslaved some settlers of those areas you know came from you know other locations and. And 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 bought land there, Some were the site of you know kinship communities, so family units that extended back into slavery and you know emerged after where uh, people who are related to one another settle in these unique on en- enclaves. The the other form of of freedom that we had here in Maryland actually came in November first of eighteen sixty four when the state of Maryland changed its constitution to formally abolish slavery. And this occurred six months before the Civil War. And it was the first example of a state legislate, or actually a state which abolishes slavery through a popular vote. So it wasn't the state legislature deciding, it was the people. And it was a close vote. It almost didn't happen, but it did. And there was also a hope there that perhaps slaveholders would be compensated for their loss. And for those listening in, I'm I'm saying loss with air quotes. (laughs) Ultimately, they didn't get compensation, but as part of the process to consider compensation, we have the records of all the slaveholders in in Maryland who claimed, you know, who held people at the time of the Civil War and it lists those enslaved people by name. So, you know, one, one result of Maryland emancipation is if your family goes back in Maryland to that period of time, whether you're enslaved or a slaveholder, those records are there and uh, that kind of information is now being the, the source of helping african americans break through that you know firewall to 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 learn where they came from and for descendants of slaveholders to break through what became a wall of silence within their families and sometimes their communities and actually know who their ancestors had possession of, and to start bridging gaps, start uniting, starting to reach out and face our history together. And, uh, you know, I couldn't think of a a better time in our history for people to be coming together to face our our, our nation's original sin and Mm -hmm. then create something new.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tony, how do you celebrate Juneteenth?
0: Well, with with a party if I can, margarita, <laughs> sometimes a good whist. Always at least half of the day napping. Uh, that is true freedom. <laughs> getting to nap with the phone turned off. Yeah. But in all seriousness, uh, you know, I run the Button Farm Living History Center. So usually I'm speaking at an event or, you know, doing something history related. So, you know, basically out there uh, communing with the community, my nonprofit, the Venera Foundation actually runs a heritage tour company. And so uh, this Juneteenth, we have our first bus vaxxed busload of people <laughs> coming to Maryland to do a tour of the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway in Dorchester County and visit the Harriet Tubman Museum in State Park. So I'm spending my Juneteenth this year introducing people to Maryland's history, our amazing legacy of for dignity and human rights, and we'll have some good food and maybe a drink or two along the way.
1: And is your, now that things are opening up, how, what are your, what are Button Farm's plans for? The, tourist, the tourism stuff. Or has any of that moved up at all? Are you still kind of like on pause till 2022? We are not
0: on pause. We are go, go, go. Yay. Um, we opened the farm this year to camping on, I believe it was March 15th. Usually we don't even open the the farm to volunteers until April because, you know, you have the winter snow and the grounds are wet and, you know, you bring anyone to the mm-hmm. farm, they get stuck in the mud but this year was a fairly dry winter. So we got a two month jump on our normal schedule. So we opened it up to camping. If anyone wants to camp at Button Farm, you can find us on hipcamp.com. And then we brought in volunteers beginning in April to help, you know, start de-winterizing the the farm and getting ready for visitors. May 1st, we opened up to the general public. We have a, a park, what we call a park and play pass, $10 a vehicle, come out to the farm You can do self-guided tours. You can get on your bike and ride the trails around the farm. You can bring your own picnic, just, you know, spend a number of hours here out in the fresh air. This month, June, we started guided tours. So every weekend I do a guided tour of the farm called Button Farm Almanac, and it's kind of the A to Z of the farm what happens here and the samples of the programs uh, that we do coming up in July will actually be the 25th anniversary of my walk to Canada my 1996 expedition wow. from Maryland to Canada and so uh,
1: that's weird because you're 25 aren't you thank
0: you thank you close, close. I'm you must have done that
1: walk when you were I'm like 26, yeah. I'm 26. <laughs> okay, I'm 26. Okay. thank you <laughs>
0: I'll take the compliment. Yes, I I was an infant when I crawled to Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, but, but but yes. So I'll be doing a, a a silver anniversary presentation, and then we're just gonna have a summer of some interesting things. I think everything by Juneteenth. Our, our full schedule will be on our on our website so people can check that out but it'll be different local art and artisans who will be here at the farm throughout the summer we'll have a number of new tour experience we'll have some old traditions in september we'll do we'll bring back our annual drinks on the veranda uh, where you come out and taste some low get the local spirit as we say and relax and then everything from Underground Railroad night hikes to some events leading up to Emancipation Day at the end of October. So listeners can, you know, check out our website, buttonfarm.org. There's a calendar there. Yeah, just to celebrate the new freedom we all have
1: Yeah, as we certainly.
0: break the the
1: shackles yes.
0: of mask wearing and you
2: know um, isolation. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, boy, it's a really different scenario from when we talked to you last year, whenever that was, back in January or whatever. And <laughs> yeah. It just sounds like a whole new world. That's and you so guys exciting. sound so busy. Wow. I appreciate so much your historical perspective on all of this. Your historical and your human perspective mm-hmm. on on the whole thing and and it's—I've gained so much understanding today, and so much insight into this. And I just really appreciate you coming on and and just talking to us about it. I know. And, and I feel so lucky
1: that we're neighbors. I like, know. Sorry, anyone who doesn't live here. <laughs> <And> I know. <laughs> me too. And, and
0: come and, visit. <laughs> and and I'd like to just say one one last thing in parting. I love this podcast. You did this. You 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 were in, so gracious to invite me on last year. And recently we sent out a newsletter and we put in that previous podcast. And within a week, a bunch of people just showed up at the farm because they were inspired by it. Whoa. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are both, you you two and and uh, Button Farm are, are, are in our county's ag reserve. And for people who haven't been to the Ag Reserve, it's just this beautiful swath of our county where, you know, the emphasis is on, you know, land conservation and, uh, you know, digging in the dirt and planting on some of the many farms. But there's something else that happens here. There's a sense of community and it's not an exclusive community. Everything we do here is to welcome people in and create community for for the larger community so I I I just want to thank you for for doing so much for the greater community to create and expand community to bring people together and then provide places whether it's virtual through a podcast or physical where people can come where they can Mm -hmm. open their minds where they can get a moment to breathe and step back, where they can rejuvenate themselves, like at one of your great retreats, right? And then go back into the world, fully juiced up, inspired, ready to take it on and to bring about change. All of that says freedom to me. And I think it's a great inspiration for this Juneteenth or any Juneteenth Thank you, just thank you for what you do and thank you for being friends and thank you for having me on.
2: Thank Pretty. you, Tony. <laughs> thank you so much. for just her. wipe our eyes over here. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you, Tony. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, should we like sign off? <laughs> that yeah. yeah,
1: I think that was a great ending. Oh, that <laughs> was wonderful. Thank you thank so you much. We'll um, include that
0: every day. Yeah, <laughs>